0: I I just love Cousin Eddie and and partly because I have Cousin Eddies. Now let me just ask, how many of you have Cousin Eddies? Okay, here's what I need you to do. Everyone here, think really hard. If you have a Cousin Eddie, raise your hand. Okay, now you put your hands down, everybody else put your hands up. You are someone's Cousin Eddie. (laughs) (laughs) You are. You are someone's Cousin Eddie. Because <laughs> if you don't have one, you are one. I'm fairly confident of this. Uh, this, this is the Cousin Eddie reality, okay? Now, I, I don't know about you, I, and I'm not going to tell which family, because Stephanie and I together are from four different families, but one of those families has a lot of Cousin Eddies. And, and every Christmas, we get everybody together. And it's the best day of the year. One year one of our family members showed up to the Christmas party dressed as fat Elvis Santa. <laughs> Complete with the... And this is... No, I'm not talking about young, good-looking serfs Elvis. I'm talking about old, shiny-clothes Vegas Elvis, right? Okay? So, total jumpsuit, V-neck all the way to the belly button, very hairy chest, you know? That was, that was, that was the outfit for... Christmas, that day was awesome. Most, one of the most memorable, hilarious, crazy things in my life, or specifically Christmas related things in my life. It brings up an interesting topic for us, and so here's the thing. I, I hope we laugh a lot today, because there are going to be some times when we're laughing together, but I'm also, my hope is to actually uh, throw a few punches at all of us a little bit today when we think about how we relate to unique, different, eccentric people, because there are a lot of them. My my doctoral professor is a guy named Lynn Sweet. He's the most eccentric person I've ever met. Every little detail about this guy is weird, and I love him, and he is so smart, and he makes me think in ways that I've never thought before, and I'm, to this day, If I'm having a hard time being creative, I send him a text, ask him a question, and something from the three sentences he will send back to me just sends me off into a wonderful world of imagination, thinking through how to handle a certain situation or issue. Uh, But while I was reading his works, I found a book he had written. It's just called Eleven. It's an odd title for a book, but then I read the subtitle, and that was Eleven Different People That You Need In Your Life. 11 different people that you need in your life, and they're all from the Bible. And some of them are obvious, like you may have heard of how Jonathan was such a great friend to King David. So he would say one whole chapter, everybody needs a real friend. Everybody needs a Jonathan, okay? Uh, And then he would pick another, and he would pick another. But one of those chapters, probably my favorite chapter, is I think it's chapter 8 or chapter 9 in the book, and he says, everyone needs a Zacchaeus. Now, this is his language, not mine. Everybody needs a weirdo. Here's what he means by that. In the story of Zacchaeus, which I'm going to read to you in a second, Jesus interacts with someone that is an outcast in his culture. Nobody else likes him. Nobody wants to be around him, and they're a good reason, actually. This guy's done some pretty scandalous things, okay? But in the story, we see Jesus interact with the guy that is the last person that everyone on that street that day would have thought he reacted with. And my question today is, do you react to interact with, spend time with, give attention to people who the crowd pushes away? Because it's really easy to just be someone who has a blast hanging out with the most popular people, the folks who are in the most. But we see over and over and over Jesus running to the person on the fringe of society, the person on the edge of culture, and how Jesus, not just once, not just twice, I could give you loads of experiences with the scriptures where Jesus interacts with the person at the edge Now, I'm trying not to use words that are offensive words or whatever, but just in your mind, think about the different way sometimes culture describes people who are unique, people who are different, people who are very, very much an individual, separate from culture and the crowd. And Jesus seems drawn to them. Let me read to you the story here uh, from Zacchaeus. If you'll open in your Bibles, again, we're not using screen today, just to try and guide all of us to using our Bibles more. 11, chapter 11 of the book of Luke, I'm sorry, I think it's chapter 19 of the book of Luke. We're going to turn there, and I just want to read this story to you. It's a really, really cool story. In 19.1, if you guys get there, you can use your phones or your Bibles, whichever. Here's what we're told by Luke, the historian, who's telling us these stories. He says, he entered, he is Jesus, okay? He entered Jericho, And was passing through. Now, Jericho's a big story, lots of heritage, lots of things have happened in Jericho. You guys might remember the children's song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Like, there's all kinds of things that have happened in Jericho. That's the history. Lots of old, Old Testament history in this city. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Uh, now, the fact that he was rich is really not the issue. The fact how he got rich, that's the issue. A chief tax collector in their culture was the scandalous of scandalous, okay? So, so a tax collector, some of you have heard me say this before, but imagine that your country is invaded by another country, and another country comes into your country and takes over power of your government, of your military, of your people, and you are now, as a people, refugees in your own country, and then that powerful country that came in and took over your country says to your countrymen, your people, hey, we, we need to hire a few of you to help us tax all the other ones. And so while so many of your countrymen would have been ready to take up arms and fight back and save your country and, and run away those who were oppressing you, there are a few who see dollar signs. And they go, wait, 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 wait. Life is going to be hard on everybody. But if I step up now and I let them make me a tax collector so that I speak the language and I know who has the money and I know where it's hidden and I know all that, I can go tax my own people on behalf of the oppressors and they're going to give me a cut to make me wealthy. Do you see why tax collectors were so hated by their people? Very much so. He's not only a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. So he's the boss. He was the one convincing other Hebrew people to turn on the Hebrew people on behalf of the Roman people. That's, that's what he was doing, okay? They hated this guy. People dreamt of ways to kill him and not get caught. Like, like people wanted this guy gone. Gone. A more recent example would be this. Nazi Germany, 1940s. There were people there who were Christians. They were not Nazis. They, they warred against Germany becoming what Germany became. They wanted to protect the Jewish people. They wanted to do that, and yet the Nazi nation overruled. Some of the members of those churches chose to become Nazis. After the war was over there was this interaction between members of the local German Christian church where half of them had been anti-Nazi and half of them had been Nazi, and they had to decide how they're going to take communion together. Now, if you can imagine how hard that would have been. That's the way these folks felt about Zacchaeus. And somehow our Bible tells us his name. Nobody else's name. We get his name. This crazy, strange, odd man who has done despicable things. In verse 3, it says, He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not. In other words, nobody's doing him any favors. Nobody's helping him out. They're standing in his way. They're trying to prevent him from getting what he wants. Okay? So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down, and and he was received joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. So Jesus has now ticked off all the people who were very happy to see Jesus. What in the world is this guy doing? He could have come to my house. I'm honorable. I love the Lord. Why is he going to this other guy's house? This other guy, this despicable, horrible man, this odd guy, this strange person, why is he going to his house? He has gone in to to be a guest of the man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone or anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come into this house since he also was a son of Abraham, and then... Verse 10, a very famous verse, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I want to talk to you about something today. And this is just me getting very real and honest about what it's like to be a spiritual leader. Since I was 18 years old when God called me to ministry, which, backstory, God called me to ministry at 13, I said no. God called at 14, I said no. God called at 15, I said no. 16, no. 17, no. 18, finally, I tap. I tap out. I give in. Okay, I'll do it. Um, So God had been working. I I had been denying. Um, Anyway, since 18 until 50, most decisions in life are made because of the gospel. Like, Like, what can I do to be an active part of what God's doing in the world. What can I do for that? Like, that's what determines so much. And I would say if you were to read all of my sermons of the past 30 years, you would see that many, if not most of them, have something to do with talking about Jesus seeking and saving the lost. And you would think that after 30 years of ministry, um, that I would have had a lot of success seeing people go out and spend their lives joining Jesus in that search to try and help seek and save the lost. But the honest reality is this. From the perspective that I have, I still see very few Christians who spend quite a bit of time or effort trying to share the gospel with people who are not Christians. Like very, very, little, very little time, very little effort. And I think a lot of it is that we don't know how, and it feels awkward, and we're not sure about weird conversations and those kinds of things. But for me, it is the issue, it's the issue for how God uses a group of Christians, what we would call a church, to make a difference in a society. You see, there are lots of things we can do on the peripheral of that, like we can have a nice building we can have good worship services, we can have nice music, we can, we, can, we can do these things. We can do lots of those. We can have good classes, we can have children's ministry and youth ministry, we can do all that, but at the end of the day, when I've seen revival happen, when I've seen spiritual renewal happen, it's because individual Christians carry a burden for telling other people about Jesus, and then they go do it. And then the Holy Spirit moves, and people come to know Christ, and we celebrate, and we move forward. And here's here's what happens. Uh, here's what happens. Um, you get together with people who are in a church that's in a spiritual like renewal moment, a vibrancy moment. What you'll find is that most of their prayer requests are celebrations. Like most of their prayer requests are. I got to tell you what Jesus did. I got to tell you what God did. I got to tell you what God did. Uh, sometimes though, when we're not in those environments, most of our prayer requests are needs. I sure wish this would happen. I sure wish that would happen. I'm nervous about that not happening. I wish God would do this other thing. I'm convinced that God's pretty active in both places and that our perspective is what shifts. Our perspective is what shifts. Is are we looking for Jesus to do things in people's lives? Or is it easier to just go, that person is strange. That person is different. I don't don't think... I don't think I want to spend time messing with, with them. Lately, uh, our house has been a gathering place for teenagers. How many, how many teenagers we got in here? Do you like, you know, somewhere between, somewhere between uh, 13 and 20? We got a few. We got a few of those. Uh, man, I love every teenager I've ever met as an individual. But you put them in a group, you're laughing. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Things crazy happen. Things crazy happen. Uh, uh, Two years ago, I walk in my front yard and there's an 18-year-old kid I've never met before in my life, 25 feet up in my tree. What are you doing? It's like, it just looked like a fun tree to climb. Get down. And you other boys, gather around the bottom of the tree and when he falls, catch him. Get down. You know, If you're going to put yourself out there to be used by God then you're going to interact with people who do things differently than you do them. You're going to interact with people who have different thoughts than you have. You're going to interact with people who sees the world differently than you do. You're going to interact with people whose kids behave differently than you would want your kids to behave. You're going to interact with people who are different. And this is what Jesus does in us. It's the awkwardness of putting yourself out there to get involved in what Jesus is doing. Right? Right? Last night, Stephanie and I went and picked four teenage girls. I don't know these teenage girls at all. Never met them before in my life. They're all middle school. My favorite kind of teenager. Some of you are like, I'm wondering if he's being facetious. Yes, I'm being facetious. Um, I, no, I, I, we're driving home. They're, it's a vehicle with four teenage young ladies. They are loud, very energetic, very energetic. And uh, one of them goes, you look like Santa Claus. And I said, why? And that was a dangerous question. It's a dangerous question. Why? why? And then I'm like, why did I ask why? Why did I do that to myself? Thankfully, she said, you have his beard. I'm like, yeah. Good. Good answer. I didn't know where she was going to go with that. So then they started singing Santa Claus songs to me while I'm driving. And I thought to myself, y'all are weird. And then I thought, it's what I'm preaching on tomorrow. Hush, Brad, get your brain in the right place, right? Okay, girls, let's sing. I'd start singing with them, you know? And then they start telling me what they want for Christmas. <laughs> Literally. They are like they have a list. They're like, are you checking it twice? I'm like, have you been naughty or nice? Like, I don't, like, I don't know what's supposed to happen here. Okay. Uh, it was quite the fun. I pulled my phone in and videotaped this because it's so entertaining to me. Uh, But I can't tell you who the girls were, so I can't show you the video. But I'll let you listen to it one of these days. It's just, it's funny. Uh, So here's what I'm getting at. Uh, If we will let the Lord have freedom over who we interact with and how we see people, God will have us interacting with people who make us uncomfortable. And the value of the gospel coming from our genuine concern and genuine love for people like Zacchaeus who are different from us will be amazed at what God will do when we will interact with someone who's different than us. Am I making sense? And I want to get this across too, a couple of things. First, Zacchaeus is up a tree. If we could just use that visual. We don't really use the language of up a tree in Western Kentucky. We say up a creek. There's a second part of that without a paddle, right? Up a creek without a paddle. That that's who Zacchaeus is. He's a person who's up a creek without a paddle. He's up a tree without a friend, okay? That's that's who he is. And Jesus is drawn to him. Zacchaeus isn't the only one though. There are lots of them. It's just days before Jesus is arrested and crucified and a woman named Mary breaks into a prayer meeting with all men. First rule, she's not supposed to have done. Then she comes in, she takes a very expensive bottle of perfume and pours it over his head and then starts to use her hair to wash his feet. And the disciples grumbled. Why is she wasting this expensive perfume? We could have sold it. We could have used that money for other things. What is wrong with her? And Jesus says, one of my favorite lines in all of the New Testament, he says, talking about the weird girl who just poured expensive perfume over his head and is washing his feet with her hair, he said, wherever the gospel is preached, what she has done will be told. Like, wow. I shared that with a 19-year-old day before yesterday, and he said, and here we are talking about her. I'm like, yeah, we are. We're talking about her. What about the woman caught in adultery? People were about to stone her. The lady at the well who was alone there. Ladies, I'm sorry. I'm picking a lot of women examples here. There are lots of weird men too, okay? Like Jesus just interacts with people that other people wouldn't interact with. He's drawn to them and we should be drawn to them. We should be drawn to people who are lonely, drawn to people who are alone, drawn to people who are in trouble, drawn to people who are problematic, drawn to people who have strange behaviors to those who think your behavior is normal, right? We should be drawn. Jesus is drawn, we should be drawn. That's an important factor. Some of you just got done with a a Bible study called, uh, a Bible study dealing specifically with helping us follow God or do what God is doing. And one of the rules of that is that you look to see where God is moving and then you join him. I'm going to warn you ahead of time. If you want to look to see where Jesus is active, he's going to show you some very unique things. Jesus is rarely very active in the easiest, most simple, most normal places. Jesus is often very active on the fringe of society, on the edge of culture, on the, on the perimeter of what seems normal. Jesus is often active right there. And he gives us the opportunity to be active with him. There are a few things in my life I have seen that I want to see again. But I'm never going to see them if I spend my life in the midst of what's normal. About 20 Christmases ago, the church I was pastoring here in Paducah had a Christmas party. There was a live band. There was dancing. There was food. It was a lot of fun. And one of the things that happened that night was an 83-year-old white lady was dancing to hip-hop Christian music with four teenage African-American boys on the stage. And I'm like, nowhere else in America is that happening right now. That is, like, that is like the weirdest, coolest thing I have ever seen in my life. I bet I get to see that hundreds of times in my lifetime. Guess how many times I've seen it? Once. Once. It was fantastic. They were celebrating the same Jesus, but from completely different worlds. You know, it was really cool. I'm here today to encourage you to let some of this into your life. To, 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 to budge on this. To say, Jesus, help me see who I can care for, minister to, reach out to, share the gospel with. Help me see who I can. Don't be surprised if your answer, when Jesus reveals a person to you, if you go, come on, not that one. (laughs) Seriously? Yeah, seriously. Sometimes that's exactly who God has you to be focused on. Some of us in this room need to invite someone to our Christmas party that we really were kind of hoping wouldn't come. Some of us need to buy a Christmas present for somebody who we genuinely don't even really like. Some of us need to find a way to share the gospel with someone that we really find awkward to even talk to. Because those are the kinds of things Jesus would be doing and is doing through those of his followers who are saying yes to him in this way. Am I making sense? I guarantee you. When you walk with Jesus in the most honest and in the most sacrificial way, Jesus will make you feel awkward. He will. You will find yourself in a place going, I have no idea why I'm here. Or, I never thought I would be here. Or, okay, Lord, how in the world are you going to use me here? And if you're there for the purpose of being honest with him, for the purpose of being uh, genuinely authentic, for the purpose of being obedient to him, then you'll be amazed at how he will use your obedience to do good things. Now, don't be that person who thinks like, a, like, like, you're, like you're selling something. Like, don't be that person that go, I bought them a gift and I invited them to come to my house and they still didn't get baptized. Okay, like, you're, like you don't always see immediate responses. You don't always see. In fact, some of us are going to share the gospel with someone over time and that person never respond. It can happen has happened and that will actually hurt you'll feel a loss like i really wanted this person to walk with the lord but they're not okay the, the question is not were you able to convince them the question was are you going to be obedient you see here's what's great about sharing the gospel it's not about us being a good jesus salesman It's about us being obedient to the things Jesus tells us to do and the Holy Spirit is the good Jesus salesman. The Holy Spirit is the one who works in people's hearts and lives. And when for whatever reason someone says no to the Holy Spirit and walks away from the gospel, that's not on you. Not if you were obedient and sharing the gospel with them to begin with. Now, there are some things to be said about approach. One Easter Sunday, I was sitting after, I don't, I don't know, why, maybe it was the week before Easter or something like that. We were at Los Amigos. Anybody like Los Amigos? There are a lot of good Mexican food places now, so I don't necessarily pick one over the other. But back in the day, it was Los Amigos, like that was your option, and I loved it. We were sitting at Los Amigos. I was pastoring a casual dress church. So I was dressed like this and there were probably six of us at a table sitting around and we had just been to church and it was a great day. We were having a blast. We were talking about how good the service was and an elderly gentleman in a suit and tie walked up to us and threw a gospel track, one of those fold up little fun things that tell you how to meet Jesus, threw it at our table and said, go to church and walked off. Okay, that's not the right approach. Like that did not help any of us. In fact, I'm going to tell you what happened. Immediately, everyone at our table grabbed the track to try and figure out which church he went to. So that they would never go there. Right? Okay, it was just like, in what world did someone tell this man that's an appropriate way to share the gospel with someone? In what world? I'll tell you the world. The world was, he wasn't concerned about whether or not we went to church or met Jesus at all. He was concerned about whether or not he gave away the track that somebody told him he had to give away. So he was just doing his due diligence to get rid of the track, feel better about himself, and go home. That's not Jesus. It's not the way Jesus would do that at all. Right? So we as a church, would line. The visual that we are using is that we're going to become the best backyard in Western Kentucky, and by that I mean we want to invite people into our space to sit down, to talk, to enjoy life, to experience the things of God that are wonderful and good and helpful. And if you're going to invite someone into your backyard, that means you're going to do a lot more than throw a track at them and give them a command. It means that you're gonna get to know their name. You're gonna hear about them. You're gonna let them tell you about themselves. You're gonna let your heart be open to actually caring about them. And caring about people who are far from God is scary because they will hurt you sometimes. But how else is the world going to be changed? If Christians don't embody the gospel in their daily life, how else is the world going to be changed? I'm going to go this far. We can pray, oh Jesus, change our nation. We can vote our heart and mind. We can donate money to things that we think are valuable. We can do all those things. But until Christians take the gospel and embody the work of Jesus in who they are, how they interact, how they live, and with the people they interact with, I'm not sure much of that other stuff does anything. The way in which God works in this world is through his people. The way in which God answers prayer is often through his people. The way in which God reaches people is always through his people. And we are his people. So bring on the Cousin Eddies. Right? Bring on the Zacchaeus up a tree. Bring on the lady caught in adultery. Bring on... That person you're thinking of right now because they won't leave your mind. Because that's where God's at work. Helping us, guiding us, directing us to get right in the middle of somebody else's life with the gospel. So how do we do this? Uh, I'm going to give you three simple words. You've heard these words before. Um, for me, this is kind of a life guide. Uh, this is a cliff notes on how to walk with Jesus. This is, this is just a personal creed to me personally. And those are the three words, compassion, acceptance, and truth. Uh, this comes from the scripture in a hundred different places. I'll give you an example of when Jesus is about to ascend back to heaven, he grabs the disciples and he gives them what we call the Great Commission. He says, as you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all the things I've commanded you. He tells us to lead with the compassion, knowing that people need Jesus. He tells us to build a relationship with them, bringing them into the group. And he tells us to tell them the truth about what he has taught us. Compassion, acceptance, and truth. Here's the way that works in a practical world. If you lead with compassion, that means that when you see someone doing something that you would not do, When you see someone behaving in a way you would not behave, when you see someone living out a life that you're thinking, how in the world did they get themselves in that trouble? When we lead with compassion, we do not lead with, well, my gosh, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. We don't lead with that. No, 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 that's not where our brain goes. I don't mean that's not what you say out loud. I'm going to push it further. We all know you don't say it out loud. Let's take it a step further. You don't actually even think it. That's not what comes to mind. What comes to mind is, I want to help this person. I don't know what this person's been through. I don't know what this person has faced. I don't know what has happened to this person. I don't know what somebody else did to this person, but I want to help them. That's what leading with compassion did. Do you think Jesus walked out on the day that the woman was caught in adultery? She's surrounded by men. They all have rocks in their hands about ready to stone her. Do you think Jesus' first thought was, what a tramp? What kind of behavior came out of her? Oh my gosh, what was she doing? Do you think that's what Jesus' brain was? No, that is not what was in Jesus' brain. It's not just that he didn't say it out loud. It's that he didn't even think it. His immediate thought was, I'm helping her. And he steps out in front of all the men who have the rocks in their hands. And by the end of the story, they put the rocks down and walk away. And she stands up out of the dust. And then he says to her, go and sin no more. See, even he didn't just leave it at compassion. He led with compassion, but by the end of the conversation, he was giving her a big old dose of truth, right? Here's what we do. If we we lead with compassion... And if that becomes a norm for us as a church, and if the people of our community begin to think, oh my gosh, Woodlawn Church, those people, they think compassionately about others, then ultimately what's going to happen is that we become the safe place for people with needs, problems, spiritual issues, those kinds of things, we become the safe space. And then if we, secondly, offer acceptance, in other words, friendship, knowledge. Now, Now, let me time out for a second. I know that we currently live in a world where entire denominations and things are fussing and fighting over who to let in and who to keep out, okay? I think that's the wrong argument. The wrong argument. The argument is not who to let in and who to keep out. We let everybody in, okay? The argument is whether or not you tell the truth as you let everyone in. Because some people believe that in order to let everyone in, you have to hold the truth back. Don't tell the truth, that might offend them. Don't tell the truth, that might hurt somebody's feelings. No, that's, that's not how Jesus operates. Jesus offers genuine concern and love, real compassion. Anybody is wanted, everybody can follow. And at the same time, everybody is going to be taught the truth. Regardless of what it does to your own feelings. It's the truth. So here's what happens in our world, and this is where this will hopefully make sense to you. Most Christian groups, most churches take compassion, acceptance, and truth and turn it on its head. At least most conservative ones, That here's what I mean by that. They start out with, if you agree with our truth, you are welcome here. There was a church in the town where I went to seminary where I lived, and the name of the church had nine words in it. Because they wanted to make sure that, they knew, that you knew they were, this, they were this, and 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 they were this. And at the end of the day, there's like three people in the county qualified to go to that church. And that's about how many they had on Sunday morning. You know? Because they just started off with, these are all the things we believe are true about everything, and if you agree with all of that, then you're wanted. Then they would offer acceptance to anybody who agreed with all that. And then if you were one of them, they would be compassionate to you when you needed help. Do you see how that's turning the funnel upside down? That's like God gives you this funnel that that catches so many people and helps you to narrow them down and teach them truth and help them walk with the Lord. And for whatever reason, practicality, we turn that funnel upside down. We're out of millions of raindrops. Only three get in. This is a really passionate topic for me. Jesus offers compassion to everyone that's the way he thinks it's the way he wants us to think it's what he begins it's where the beginning of the story goes and then he offers acceptance to anybody who wants to be near him around him talking to him but then he tells everybody the truth and he expects us to tell the truth now here's the cool thing telling the truth from a distance and telling the truth from up close are very different things here's what i mean Let's say the Bible teaches a truth about a certain topic. I'm not even going to bring one up. Everybody in the room's thinking of one. Okay? If I just stand up on this stool here, and I get on a street corner somewhere, and I yell out that truth to anybody and everybody who gets anywhere near me, am I doing something wrong? I don't know that I'm doing something wrong. I'm definitely doing something that's ineffective. But see, when I lead with compassion and I get to know people and I care about people and I know their name and I know their story and I know what they're going through and I've listened to their problems and I'm there for them and then they know I care about them and I know that they care about me and then the Lord sits down an opportunity for us to sit beside each other and open this Bible and talk about truth. Guess what? That person's level of receptivity has gone through the roof Because now they'll listen. It's an old adage, and I don't even like these kinds of adages, but it's true, is people don't care what you think until they really think that you care. That's important for us. And it's not important because some American came up with that snatchy little phrase. It's important because that's how Jesus did it. Over and over and over again. Think about it. Put yourself at the base of the cross of Christ. Let's talk about who's standing there looking up. The first person standing there looking up is a girl who got pregnant before she got married. And the whole community thought that she was up to something, even though what was up was Holy Spirit guided and directed. The second person standing there is Mary Magdalene, a woman who by many uh, believe was a prostitute before she met Jesus. The third is John, the youngest of the disciples who was often picked on by others, so much to the point that they call him the one who Jesus loved because Jesus saw him as like a little brother who was weak in comparison to those like, John, like Simon Peter. I could keep going. Do you see how Jesus' cross is surrounded by people whose story includes something fringe-worthy, something distant from normal, something unique about themselves. We cannot and will not ever be a church filled with just normal Christian people. Because those churches die in a generation. We will be, if we're going to be a church that's following the will of God, we will be a church that has a lot of normal Christian people And also have a lot of folks whose story has a lot of turns and twists. And in the midst of those turns and twists, what we see is the grace of God over and over again. This Christmas, lead with compassion. Open yourself to accepting people. And when God gives you opportunity, tell the truth. Speak the truth. In love, but speak the truth. Over time, what will happen is that God will build us up as a church filled with people whose lives have been so empowered by the gospel that they can't help but take it with them everywhere they go. That's how Jesus will change. So Southside Paducah, Western Kentucky and this region, through not just this church but lots of churches, but that's how God brings revival. That's how God brings spiritual awakening. And that's how God's going to use us. Would you pray with me? Lord, we pray for the Cousin Eddie's right now. The and maybe Cousin Eddie's not the best example of what I even mean to say, Lord. We, just, we pray for those who are different us pray for those who instead of adding to our lives sometimes they need to take from our lives lord help us to be sacrificial help us to be people who lead with compassion offer acceptance and then lord when the time is there make sure that we never stop short of telling the truth we need to teach lord what you have taught us we need to teach what your word says Lord, we can be both compassionate and honest. Lord, we can be both accepting and truthful. We don't have to pick sides. Remind us of that, Lord. So many in our world and in our culture have been taught that in order to be kind, you have to not tell the truth. Or you just have to stop believing the truth. So some churches, Lord, are great at being open and caring and kind, but not good at telling the truth. And some, Lord, seem to be great at telling the truth, but in doing so, they're not open, caring, and kind. Lord, I pray that you would put us in that place where you lived, the example that you built for us, the way you treated people. Lord, give us guidance and direction. Give us a passion, Lord. I, I, it's, it's more so than just telling us how to do it, Lord. I think for so many of us down deep inside, we need the motivation to even want to do it. And Lord, I, we confess that to you as a great spiritual need for us as a church that you would rebuild in us or maybe even for some of us for the very first time ever, build in us a passion for the gospel and for people. Help us care. Help us care enough that it hurts. Help us care enough that it's dangerous. Help us care enough that it's motivating. Lord, we trust you with this. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me as we respond to the Lord? we have a lot of new faces, a lot of new folks folks who've been at Woodline less than a year or less than six months or less than a month, or maybe today's your first day. Um, We're a diverse group of people, lots of different backgrounds, and you're wanted, and we're glad that you're here. Uh, The way that we pray together at the end of a worship service like this uh, is we give you lots of options. Uh, In the the doors in the back, we have uh, some one or two folks that will kind of be like a prayer counselor for you. So if you'd like to pray with somebody about something, then I invite you to go to the back of the room. Grab somebody back there, tell them what you need to pray about, and let them pray with you. They'll hold that in confidence. They'll keep that to themselves. They're not going to be out telling people your business. Um, And they love you. They care about you. They want to pray for you. It may be that you just simply want to take a moment alone with God and, and you're not really asking anybody else to join you. You just want to do that. And you can obviously do that right in your seat where you are. Or you could come forward and kneel uh, on the steps here and just pray. And, and we will give you that, we'll give you that space, okay? Um, as we sing the song, as we respond to the Lord, let's go beyond thinking, all right, church is almost over. We're going to go eat lunch, that kind of thing. Uh, it's, you know, it's time to go to Bible study. Let, let's let God interact with us. Have a moment where we genuinely think about what the Lord has been saying today and how that should affect us. We'll sing these couple of songs uh, and then we'll move to the next few steps. But let's worship the Lord. Let's respond to him.